1: Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM and Palestine Remembered with Youssef Ahmed rimawi Robert Martin and Nasser Meshni. Thanks all to tuning in to another edition of Australia's only radio program that is totally dedicated to the Palestinian cause. In English language, I would like to welcome my listeners on the AM dial and those who will join us later on the website 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts. Today's episode, we will be talking to Professor Peter Sletzak, an Australian academic, and also we will be reflecting on last uh, Thursday's uh, press conference between Trump and Netanyahu. And also, we do not forget that tomorrow there is a protest against Netanyahu's visit to Australia. For this and more, stay with us and enjoy the episode.
2: Good morning, listeners. Uh, today, we're going to be joined by Associate Professor of Philosophy at the University of New South Wales, Peter Slezak. He's the son of Holocaust survivors, and his mother was in Auschwitz. He's the co founder of the Independent Australian Jewish Voices and an executive member of APAN, the Australian Palestine Advocacy Network. Um, thanks for joining us today, Peter. Thanks, Nessa. Nice to see you. Uh, yeah, great. Mate, can you tell me um, a little bit about your childhood and, and growing up as a young Jewish boy in Sydney? and Um, how that shaped your views as a child and we'll get to um, where you are today but first how you started out.
3: Well look my story's got a certain amount of interest because I wasn't brought up uh, as in a strongly Jewish household or a strongly Zionist household and in the way that's relevant to why it wasn't as difficult for me to come around to becoming a strong supporter of Palestine. Many Jews are brought up in a very heavily either religious or Zionist or both uh, environment. I mean I had a very Jewish family in the sense that both my parents were Holocaust survivors. My mother was a survivor of Auschwitz with her mother, and we had every year at my uncle's place the Passover, the annual, uh, uh, you know, the um, remembrance of the Exodus, and the Jews do this every year. It's, so I had a very consciously Jewish upbringing. I had a bar mitzvah, but my parents were secular, agnostic. Um, and they certainly weren't Zionist. We actually never talked about politics or Zionism at home. So I grew up in the Jewish community. I was amongst Jewish kids. Uh, my parents' friends were ma- mainly Jews. But I didn't get the, the heavy um, indoctrination that I think most Jews get. Mm-hmm. And although my parents were survivors of the Holocaust, they also didn't uh, fill my head with the kind of um, attitudes that many Jews did get. Which was not only never again, but for many Jews this meant never again to Jews. But I somehow got the wrong message. I thought it meant never again to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and that sort of well, the human message of the Holocaust. Yeah, culture. so somehow yeah. my parents were very liberal-minded and and, and humanitarian. And so in, in a sense, I found myself later in life, uh, in some sense, quite different from my uh, friends who were was Jewish Zionists.
2: Was there an epiphanous moment?
3: Well, look, there wasn't a moment, but there was a series of. Events which I remember in retrospect as having been significant. One of them was that I discovered Bertrand Russell when I was a student, a science student, Mm -hmm. and I read him as a 16 year old who gave these humanitarian, um, um, humane views of of politics and life and morality, and they were very significant. It's not an accident that later in life I discovered, of course, he was a a serious activist, Mm -hmm. and my hero. Subsequently, it wasn't entirely an accident, Uh, Noam Chomsky has a big picture of Bertrand Russell on his wall. And that's not entirely unconnected.
2: Uh, How how does a 16-year-old read Bertrand Russell?
3: Look, I was a science student, and uh, I was passionate about science. I had no interest in politics at all, but I knew um, Russell was a famous uh, philosopher. He'd been on television Mm -hmm. about banning the nuclear bomb and stuff like that. And when I got to the university, I was curious about science, but I discovered his little book on religion and science in the book, in the bookshelves of the science library, and I read his book about science and religion, and that too was a kind of a, an open minded liberal uh, humanitarian view of of life and a rationalist view i mean thinking about the evidence and and and, and caring about the intellect and and, and and thinking about evidence and so but that was about religion, and he had views that one of the funniest reactions which was relevant later was that When I read Bertrand Russell on morality and other things, it was so obvious what he was saying, but nobody believed it. Mm -hmm. It was so contrary to what most people thought about sexual morality or politics. And I had this strange feeling of he was the only one marching in step, as we say. And that already set me on a kind of a path of diverging from what most people think about most things. And in fact, that's why Russell was such a significant dissident voice. Mm -hmm. And so reading a dissident about various values... It conditioned me later on. Yeah.
2: So let's fast forward to um, yourself and Anthony Lowenstein, Independent Jewish Voices, your first trip to Palestine and, and well, you know, Linwood Oz banning you from attending and, and the challenges you've faced since, if you will, coming out.
3: Well, look, I don't want to overplay the challenges. I have to say because of my particular circumstances, a lot of people outside think that it's very brave of me, but I'm not a modest person, but I don't like to be, you know, to, to have a false uh, um, uh, claim here. The fact is, for me, because I'm not religious and I'm not deeply into the Jewish community, I married a non-Jew, I married a Catholic girl, I don't care too much about the criticism because my life isn't steeped in the Jewish community. And it's true of Antony as well. We get flack. But it doesn't matter to me as much as it matters to some others. Some people who signed our original petition... Uh, as Jews uh, complaining about Israel said that they have to be anonymous because their parents would disown them the community would 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 uh, exclude them so actually for me. Um, Part of the reason I've been able to do what I I do is not only intellectually and morally, I think it's right, but also it was easier for me because the consequences weren't as dire as they are for some people. So I have to be honest about that. Um, For some people, it's extremely difficult because, and I have good friends that are Jews that have now come to see our point of view from Palestine, Mm. but it's still very awkward for them. Their friends give them a hard time. Now, I don't give a shit too much about the flack that I get, Mm -hmm. but so not everybody's in that position. So for me, it was relatively easy. Okay.
2: Now, now, today, I mean, there's, there's a, um, a real challenge with Palestinian activism and the conflation with support for Palestine with anti-Semitism. Yeah. Now, there are very few people, I mean, there's sadly very few people that are as qualified as you to talk to anti-Semitism with your parents' uh, uh, Holocaust survivors. But you can speak to it. That's right. Can you can, can t- talk us through that conflation?
3: Look, I care a lot about that. Um, it's not a secret, but the Holocaust and the Jewish history has been abused and misused by Jews to excuse what Israel does. And uh, there was a, I often quote in my articles, uh, uh, a member of the uh, Israeli Knesset, Shulamit Aloni, who said, yes, it's a trick we always use. She said that we we accuse critics of Israel of anti-Semitism and then we always cite the Holocaust to excuse everything we do. My parents' Holocaust experience is very deep in me. And it's the reason I do what I do. I'm just watching uh, my late mother's uh, interviews she did with the um, Spielberg Holocaust, uh, the Shoah Foundation, about her experiences. And I grew up with her experiences in mm-hmm. Auschwitz. And these are very deep emotional uh, feelings that one has. And you grow up with this outrage about what people have done to other people because of their ethnic origin. Well, it's obvious what a responsibility of a Jew is when it's the Palestinians that are now the victims. And the history of what what basically the Jews have done in Palestine is is an atrocious uh, crime. Mm -hmm. And your instinct is that uh, we have to stand up. And, of course, I'm not alone. There are Mm -hmm. some very significant Jews around the world with the same background, Norman Finkelstein and Sarah Roy and and, um, Amira Haas. And they cite their Holocaust experience as the reason they're doing what they're doing, standing up for the Palestinians. Uh, Mira Haas puts it very eloquently, but it was exactly my own response. She said that when her mother was got off the cattle truck, and my mother did in Auschwitz, and she went into Bergen-Belsen, I think, or wherever it was, and she saw the German housewives watching them going to their fate. She said, after the war, those people can't say. They didn't know what was going on in their name. Mm-hmm. And, and she saw her responsibility, as I do, my responsibility is to stand up to the Jewish community and tell them what we are responsible And they actually don't know. Mm-hmm. The tragic, terrible thing is how little they understand. Yeah. Deliberately, they're kept from knowing. Yeah. And the mainstream don't help much of that. And,
2: and perhaps there's even an element of choosing not to know. They
3: certainly they refuse to listen. Yeah. And part of the, the flack and the, the, the criticism of being anti-Semitic mm-hmm. or being a self-hating Jew is to prevent people from taking you seriously. Mm-mm. So they have to try and fend off. Uh, any kind of criticism and dismiss it because they can't face it Mm. but actually it's rather interesting a lot of Jews that I talk to with all the best will in the world the reality is they don't know it's a kind of culpable ignorance Uh, but actually they don't know
2: yeah um so and and talking in that great sense of humanity and and honoring the memory of of those that perished in the holocaust and your parents memory you're you're a board member of APAN Australia Palestine Advocacy Network can you tell me a little bit about your role there
3: well look I'm very proud and pleased to be able to play a role with the uh, uh, Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network. They do a very important job in um, being the the umbrella organisation of just about all of the activist groups in Australia. So it gives me a very important opportunity to do something that I think is very useful and to stand out publicly and play that role when we go to Canberra or we have other events. So that's a very important opportunity that uh, it's a privilege for me to be able to do something rather than nothing, because it's very hard to, to know what to do. Yeah.
2: And as a membership group, I, mean, I know we're always seeking members. Can, can you give us a plug, an impassioned plea for our listeners to join APEN?
3: Oh, I think uh, everybody should join APEN. Look, uh, it's, it's a, the cause that has uh, a, a, an analogy in other internationally uh, um, important moral and political causes that have fired people's imagination uh, on behalf of justice. And it's not necessarily that Palestine is bad as it is. It's not the worst thing going on in the world. But it's parallel to cases like, for example, the South African uh, movement for the liberation of of the the blacks in South Africa against apartheid. The world was fired up with a sense of of conscience uh, on behalf of the South Africans. The other case that's comparable in some ways was the East Timor a matter where there was a near genocide there. The world was, was fired by a sense of the outrage on behalf of these innocent people that were, were treated in such terrible ways. And the Palestine issue was growing uh, in the same way as moving people's conscience for a a historic injustice of terrible proportions, not only from the beginning since 48, but till today, the suffering of the Palestinians is immense and people are not aware of it. And one of the good things that we as APAN can do is to start to bring the world to, to an awareness. And I think we're succeeding. I think some things are changing. There's good sign, even in the Jewish community. But this needs people to come and to persuade their governments that they have to act because they've been derelict. derelict. In, in, in supporting after all the, the only thing we stand for is international law and human rights what's the problem with that you know everybody mm. should be standing up for that there
2: can be no problem that's right now listeners APAN, apan.org.au
4: thanks again Peter for joining us this nice morning. to talk to you Nessa. thank you
3: Thanks for that interview, Nasser and Peter Sleeve. Uh, please enjoy this hip-hop band from Palestine, Don't Check My Bag. Who's your cousin? Who's
4: your uncle? Who's your dad? Who's your dad?
3: Where you coming from? Where'd you
4: get that? Get that. I hope they don't search my bag. my bag. I hope they don't ask me that. Me that. Who's your cousin? Who's your uncle? Who's your, dad? Who's your dad? Where you coming from? Where'd you get that? Get that. I just touched down at Bangarion It's gotta be very long. They looking through my carry-on. Why you here? Where you staying? Who you know?
1: You're listening to Palestine Remembered on 855 AM. Early on Thursday morning, uh, John Fain from ABC Radio spoke with Nasser Mashni uh, about the press conference between Trump and Netanyahu. And this is what Nasser had to say.
4: Nasser Mashni is from the Australian Palestine Advocacy Network and uh, is co-founder of Australians for Palestine. Morning to you, Nasser. Good morning. Are you well, in any I... way optimistic about the latest utterances from Washington? as well, look- B- yeah, John, Bibi Netanyahu we're...
0: visits Donald Trump? Yeah, yeah, look, we're pleasantly surprised. I mean, you've got to remember where we were in the campaign with uh, Trump uh, attending the AIPAC conference. That's a uh, uh, liberal counterpart in the United States, Israel Lobby there, promising to move um, uh, the the Israeli embassy from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Settlements are not an obstacle to today. Uh, you know, almost talking about a one state solution. Well, he's
4: saying whatever the parties agree to, it's not up to us to tell them what to do, if I can
0: paraphrase. Yeah, well, John, where we're at now, I mean, you look at uh, um, the situation on the ground where Israel controls in excess of 60% uh, of the West Bank. The area and land that is available for Palestinians to build a contiguous state doesn't exist. Today, Israel controls the birth registry, the uh, spectrum, 3G spectrum, Palestinians aren't allowed, 4G, to enter or exit, that's controlled by uh, Israel. We use uh, Israeli money, Israeli stamps. Uh, you know, in reality, we're living in a de facto one-state situation that. Just so we don't get to vote for who's occupying us.
4: I'm concerned, as I mentioned to Mr. Liebler, the new leader... In Gaza, for the Palestinian people, in Gaza is the Hamas militant Yahya al sinwar if I'm pronouncing it correctly, and I hope I am, who apparently has spent years in Israeli prisons and is
0: regarded as a hardliner. That's not looking promising, is it? Well, it's not promising, but you've got to only have a look at the uh, Israeli cabinet and uh, the Knesset, excuse me, and the vote only last year and how um, where the Israeli people sit today. They voted for a Knesset and their representatives last week. Uh, voted to legalise land theft. I mean, the Likud Charter, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's own party, says explicitly there'll be no Palestinian state west of the Jordan. I mean, we're getting in a situation now where the the nomenclature of a one state, where, you know, human beings can be human and we can all vote regardless of whether we're Jews, Christians or Muslims, celebrate our God how we like, but we get to vote that we're elected. I mean, that's, you know, a movement towards justice.
4: In any negotiation, the President says just finally it has to involve compromise. Uh, Are the parties on equal footing for this compromise,
0: Nasser? We're not. And, you know, since 1993, when the Palestinian Liberation Organisation, historic handshake on the White House lawn, uh, Palestinians have recognised the state of Israel. Since that time, we've been negotiating over pizza with one side eating the pizza. The piece that we get left with is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, John, today, one of the things that I, I have an issue with with Mr. Lieber is, in fact, over 500 Australian Jewish people have signed a petition demanding our government retract uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's um, invitation. He doesn't speak for all Jews in Australia. He speaks for a very, very far right-wing fringe. And we've got prayer vigils in Melbourne and Canberra, protests in Melbourne, Canberra, Sydney and Brisbane. You know, this guy shouldn't be here, and Australians should be standing up and saying no.
4: Oh, we will see what happens next week. I'm thank, grateful to you for your time this morning, and thank you, Nasser Mashni from the Australian Palestine Advocacy Network and co-founder of Australians for Palestine. Nineteen minutes to.
1: Well done, Nasser. Thanks th- very much, Yusuf. I think um, we're 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 hearing more voices uh, on uh, the mainstream media, which is excellent.
2: Absolutely. Well, uh, on on Tuesday, what uh, precipitated all this? Uh, uh, Media, if you will, is the upcoming visit of Netanyahu. But Bob Hawke wrote a piece in the Australian Financial Review, and he said it's time for us to recognize the state of Palestine. And in that interview, uh, excuse me, in that um, article, he explicitly mentioned many facts, facts that we on the Palestinian side have known, like the fact that Israelis, or Jews, excuse me, in 1947, owned only 6% of Palestine.
1: And nevertheless were given more than half of fifty six Yeah, in, in, in the partitioning of Palestine.
2: Well, in the partitioning of Palestine, they received over 56%. Mm. But over and above that, something of the order of 65% of the arable land, 70% of the seaports, all of the um, uh, orange groves, the Jaffa orange, the Palestinian Jaffa orange that they've stolen and taken over and claimed as their own. Um, Bob Hawke mentioned those facts. And on Thursday morning, uh, of course, Izzy Liebler had uh, Mark Liebler, excuse me, his brother, had um, the opportunity and you know his right of reply, um, and the usual Zionist um, lines. And, and one of the, the really funny lines, in fact, in the in, in the um, article was Bob Hawke's wrong. Yes, it's true that Jews only owned six percent of Palestine, but Palestinians only owned six percent. The other eighty-eight percent was owned by the Crown. Well, it was Palestine, so crown land mm. is Palestinian land, is he? Oh, Mark.
1: Not to mention that the figure 6% owned by Palestinians is also a historic rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Which is What's, completely untrue. Well,
2: it's Palestine. Mm. You know, so the land is owned by Palestinians, whether it's a, a human being with a title or the government because it's state lands or a, a park or whatever it might be, or church or uh, a, a mosque. It's Palestinian land. Mm. It doesn't suddenly become... Uh, not Palestinian just because the state of Israel was declared by the United Nations.
1: It makes me wonder how, what's the percentage owned by Australians yeah. of Australia? It would be less than 3%. <laughs>
2: well, uh, using uh, Liebler's logic, you know, 6% of Australia is owned by Australians, the other bit is available for Zionists.
1: There you go. <laughs> Um, I think also, Nasser, it was worth mentioning um, the points that uh, maybe we didn't have the chance to elaborate on uh, that came out from that uh, press conference between Trump and uh, Netanyahu, particularly the hate, uh, how Trump said that the Palestinians should learn how to stop uh, um, um, the hate uh, or planting hate uh, in their children' textbook, etc. Where, the, et hell,
3: where, where the, the hell does a world leader get off on saying such a thing? Mm. What's he uh,
2: Robert, there, there's, there's some footage, and it's terrible footage. Yeah, it's Palestinian footage, and there's a Mickey Mouse type character, and he's um, extolling the virtues of killing Jews. I mean, it's terrible stuff. But it's more than ten years old. It's not on the TV now. It's nowhere near it. And and in fact, one of the one of the things that we should actually talk about is, in fact, what Israelis teach. And we had Mika Pallet on the show a couple of days ago, a mm. couple of shows ago. His sister Nurit Pallet, um, she's written an article about what Jews book. are taught. It's uh, excuse me, a, a book, yeah.
3: of education.
2: What what Jews are taught? I mean, you, you go into Israel today and watch the news. When the news comes up and the weather comes up, in fact. You see Israel, not as 48 Israel or Green Line Israel. You see Israel, Judea and Samaria, West Bank. That's you see place. the Golan Heights, all as part of greater Israel. You mm. know, they're, they're brainwashing their children and educating them on, uh, that we don't exist. The land of Eretz Israel is complete and uh, we're, we're not but, even
3: existing. But the fact that he can get up there and say that they've got to stop preaching hate, what about the oppression? What about the fact that the children have had their fathers killed, their mothers killed, their land stolen? What about all of that?
1: I'll tell you I mean, what, it, what constitute the hate, between brackets, uh, in the eyes of what's Trump that? and the, the, the Zionists. Well, it's something, not true. It's something actually like true, though. It, Something as simple as showing the historical map of Palestine in the geography textbook is defined by Trump as hate. Because, you know, this is not the map of Palestine. Something like uh, mentioning Yaffa, mentioning Akka, mentioning where most of the Palestinian population are from uh, in the Palestinian Authority textbook is... Identified by Trump as hate because this is not yours anymore. And so, so if, if, if we want from a pedagogy point of view, from a textbook analysis point of view to start with, I think we have a problem with definitions even uh, because it's very unlikely to convince uh to convince let's say Palestinians that uh how about we should change the map and change the flag and change the national anthem because even even the national anthem i remember when uh egypt uh, signed the uh, came david uh, agreement i remember reading a book about Uh, requests uh, from uh, the Israelis that the former Egyptian national anthem had to be um, had to change because it does not reflect peace anymore and sadly the Egyptians changed it actually now we're not going to do that with or without peace this is this is this is this is what I mean by the definition of Hate in our textbook, etc. And of course, this is a very big topic. And I th- I'm sure that if we did a preview, if we asked our Minister of Education, Mr. Sabri Sadam to send us all the materials so that we can review all the textbooks, I'm sure that the findings will 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 will, will never constitute no, what could be hate against Jews.
2: No, no. Well, we don't teach hate, and we don't teach hate. What's we're not part hateful of the Israeli people?
1: propaganda, though.
2: Well, I mean, look, the reality is, you know. We we talk about occupation being violence. I mean, if you see your mother being abused, if you see your father getting beaten, if your brother is shot dead in front of you, it's not easy to like that guy.
1: (laughs) Mm, I mean, making it difficult.
2: One of one of the interesting things out of that um, uh, the uh, press conference with Trump and Netanyahu was just how flippant he was. I mean, the guy's you know just a loose cannon, Trump. And you have a look at some of the footage just of Mm. Netanyahu and how uncomfortable he is. But you know, he goes two states, one state. You know what everybody wants it. We're going to make a great deal, and and that concept of one state is becoming more and more real. And in fact, earlier on, in actually late last week, the president of Israel spoke to. It's time for us to annex the West Bank and just give Palestinians full rights. Um, was, so, it, was that in the media anywhere? Here? No, it wasn't in of here, course. but it was a report all over. Uh,
1: but also, that's uh, the, the one state according to the president of Israel is uh, you have to live under Israeli law. It's not the one state where bi-national. Uh, of course, it's uh, the, you, you, you can't
2: you can't imagine them giving us full rights. I course. mean, the reality within the lands of historic Palestine, West Bank, uh, Gaza, East Jerusalem, were in fact uh, uh, more than fifty percent. So mm. in that instance, and this comes back to that the great conundrum for Zionists, mm. you know, they want to be Israeli, excuse me, Jewish. Democracy. They want all the land, and you want to be democracy, and that triangle doesn't work. You cannot be Jewish and democratic and have all the land.
1: You have to defy logic. You have to defy logic, and well, so they do. So mm. then, then the
2: challenge <laughs> becomes what What can we get to have all three? Well, you just can't. You can have two of the three. You can Certainly be Jewish. And democratic, but yeah. you can't have the land. You can have the land and be democratic, but you're not Jewish. Or you can have the um, – whatever the last one
1: is. <laughs> also, also to continue to request from Palestinians and to make it like it's the minimum requirement uh, to ask them to recognize Israel as a Jewish state. This is something that there will never be any Palestinian leader recognizing Israel as a Jewish state. Uh, because it's, you're indirectly conceding the historic loss of Palestine. You're saying that, you know what they did in 48, you know, this is, they, they were right actually, and we were wrong. So we're sorry that you, you guys had to defeat us. It's not gonna happen. And, but the fact that Netanyahu since 2010, has systematically requested this in every meeting with Obama and with every meeting with the Europeans, and he had to even he was able to convince the British administration, consecutive ones, not necessarily the the, the French administration, but to continue to, to request that and to make it like it's a break even requirement of peace is 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 totally um, nonsense, and it's not going to happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, the reality is you can define yourself any way you want. Um, when one in four people inside of Israel isn't Jewish, I mean, we're not going to... You can't ask me... And to you're asking
1: I... the Palestinians yeah. to say that.
2: No, no it's, just, it's hmm. just crazy.
1: I guess um, um, there's more to reflect on uh, anything that can come out from the mouth of Netanyahu or Trump They're on truff. Palestine. Uh, but uh, for this episode, I think we have come to... The end, I think we're um, we about just two minutes, minutes away, yeah. yes. the, the but uh, there is time also for uh, talking about our upcoming event. So tomo- yeah, tomorrow, yeah, t- yeah, <laughs> tomorrow afternoon at
2: 2 p.m. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, our listeners, 2 p.m. tomorrow at the State Library. Um, join us along. We've got a great rally. We've got some dub, kiss and dances, um, some great speakers, and it'll be great to see you there t- tomorrow. In protest? Against Netanyahu's visit, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm and um, thank you robert and uh, nasser thanks you sir. for good uh, seeing everybody and uh, we will definitely be with you next saturday inshallah, inshallah. Uh, same time 9:30 in the morning until then have a great time and salam
3: peace